Hello and welcome to Man on the Clapham Omnibus Sport Review. Today I'm going to talk about the New York Test. Now, this is an idea that I imagine the vast majority of my viewers, the vast majority of sports fans in general in this country, would consider it a bonkers idea. The concept is is having a six-test match Ashes series with the first test match being played in a pop-up ground in New York Central Park. And I get that. I get that it is in some ways a lunatic idea. But there's method to my madness. My concept is, is that if you want to bring back test matches to the people, to the wider consciousness of this country, and in general, that of, of the sports fan, the average sports fan. It's not something that you can do piecemeal. It's not something that, you know, putting one test match on a year on Freeview or on the internet is going to solve. It's something far deeper. You know, we've shown with this summer that with the World Cup, with the headingly test match miracle, is that there cricket means something to this country it is one of our best cultural legacies it's given something to the world it has brought the commonwealth together it has brought people together it it goes across age sex gender sexuality all of these things cricket can has this magical ability it can and yet through I guess it's a whole multiplicity of reasons the cricket establishment, sports fans, we've all lost the ability to believe. You know, we've lost our collective bottle. You know, cricket hasn't lost its soul. It's still, you know, you've still got Somerset not, you know, coming close to winning and not winning at the end. You know, they've never won a pennant in the county's championship. They've come close so many times. They've been to so many semis. They've been to so many finals. Yes, they've, they've won, you know, this. You know, they finally won a, a trophy. You know, you've still got Yorkshire versus Lancashire. That's still just as relevant now as it was, you know, 130, 140 years ago. You, know, you still have England versus Australia being a huge deal to on both sides, both countries. You know, cricket is still massive in India. It, you know, India Pakistan stops. You know, a you know over a billion people just stop what they are doing when that game is on. You know, and yet, what we've we've been unable to define why we love Test cricket. We've been unable to show people. You know, we. We end up saying the same sort of things, you know, the same cliches. We talk about the same test matches, you know, both of them's ashes. You talk about 2005. What, we've, what we don't have, I guess, is, is a narrative. We haven't really explained quite what it is. We, you know, I've seen, I've read thousands of pieces talking about the majesty of test cricket. But it's always to people like me who already love it. What we haven't done is really explained what it should mean in t in twenty nineteen. Because really, what Test cricket is is a link. 
is a link to a, a past. If you have a batsman, two stumps, a bowler and a red cricket ball, you have something that is that's been going on for you know three hundred plus years. You know, it's the simplest and most I suppose in some ways innate thing. You get a piece of wood, you have a ball, you want to hit the ball, you want to throw the ball, you want to catch the ball. And and there's so many different ways we've utilised it. You know, you have T20, you have One Day Internationals, you have World Cups, you have Test Matches, you have Test Match Series. You know, you have three-day games, you have four-day games. You know, you have the Sheffield Shield, you have the Ramsey Trophy, you have the County Championship, you have Village Cricket, you have League Cricket, you know, you have Nets, you have Tape Ball. There are so many different ways, you, you know, the original, you know, we think of cricket almost as if it's just popped out of nowhere like you know on the you know banknote where it has the cricket game that's in you know dickens and it's not it was actually originally you know before sort of the advent of trains it was you know you would have two players and they would you know effectively one would bowl one would bat and that was it you, you know you'd have sort of two players on a team one would bat one would one would bowl one would field you know and it's that and what that meant was is that it was almost a, a test of singular skill. There's one really funny story about how one guy turned up with him and his dog, and the dog was the fielder, so the, do the dog would chase all day after the ball and bring it back. Yeah, there's nothing to stop us, you know, reimagining cricket, explaining it to people. There's this. I think what's happened is is that you have cricket boards and the ICC, and this is probably more the ECB than anyone else that has almost fallen into a negative perception of people, easily bored, you know, lack concentration. They constantly need something to happen, and so as a result, there's it's constantly a sense of compromising. You're constantly trying to dilute cricket. You're constantly trying to take you know, make it more accessible. And accessible is in some ways the wrong way. It becomes a compromise on top of a compromise. That's what the 100 is. It's, okay, we have T20, which has proved popular all across the world. We have the T20 blast in this country, which works. But what it is, it's not mainstream. It's not box office. It is very much... You have your county ground, you have your county teams, and it has managed to build you know build itself into the framework of you know the cricketing summer. You know you have the the sellouts at the Oval, so the Oval becomes London London's largest beer garden. You have the games at Lords, you have Lon you know Surrey versus Middlesex, you have you know Yorkshire versus Lancashire, and it. But what it is, and it does bring in some fans and some casual viewers, but what it can't do is is it cannot stop the country. In other words, you know, it is still somewhat parochial, but that is not actually a bad thing. You know, the counties cover more ground and are more competitive 
than other you know, than other sports. Let's say if you compare football. Yes, football has ninety two teams, but there are areas, you know, such as the southwest, parts of the north, where there aren't that many teams, they aren't particularly successful. You know, your big Premier League teams are based in big cities for obvious reasons. And so what you have with the hundred is this concept that if you make it slightly shorter, so the idea is instead of it being 20 overs, you make it 100 balls, you then concentrate it in the cities and you create, you know, these teams. It's it's building off of what has happened in Australia with the Big Bash. But Australia works because it's done during the, the summer, their summer. So it's hot weather. You know, they only, you know, you have a handful of big metropolitan area cities with big grounds that allow you to, you know, effectively have a limited amount of teams that will have a national following. And it fits in well because, you know, at the back end of the season, the weather is still good enough, whereby if you try to do that in England with, you know, September, October, weather's gone, you have the problems of, you know, effectively... You, know, you have to fit in the test matches, which is hugely important to, you know, the hardcore, the cricketing, you know, faithful. And you then have the summer holidays because you're trying to get more people into it. But in the end, it's there's no defining reason why you should love it. In the end, it is just coloured clothing. It is generic teams playing in the big test grounds. It's not going to be bad. It could well be do really well, but it's just, is it that much more different from, you know, T20? Not particularly. It's just shortening it so it works better for TV and for families. But it's that's it. It's con- You're constantly sitting there. The first thing you're doing is, this isn't good enough to stand on its two feet. How can we artificially make it more easy on the fan? We're assuming that only when we dilute it to, you know, this... You know, shortened, simple game that people are going to automatically not just fall in love with the 100, they're automatically then going to become cricket badgers and fall in love with the whole sport. And that's not what it does. In the end, you, I hate using marketing speak like products and you know, selling things. Right? But at some point, you, you need to simplify what cricket is and test match cricket is the best form of cricket well define why because in the end test cricket produces the best players the best storylines the best versions of ourselves as fans and as players because it forces you to learn it forces you to empathize it forces you to think in a way that no matter how good T20 is, no matter how good the 100 potentially could be, it's still just, it's straightforward. You know, you bat, you try and get as many runs as humanly possible, that forces you to attack. You know, your, you, you know, bowlers have, a, you know, learn skills and it's impressive, but it's only marginalised. In other words, it's just you have X amount of balls, you will get wickets because the batsmen are attacking, You know the fielding is good, but 
in the end, it's just it, everything is speeded up. In other words, and all you're doing is you create, yeah, you, you create montages, like three or four minute highlights, which just shows you someone smacking a huge six, someone making a fantastic catch, and someone smash bowling, you know, and obliterating the stumps. And that that is a that that does show cricket, but it doesn't show what it actually can be. And when it's at its best, it is like an opera. You know, you have quiet moments, you have huge, loud moments where you can stop a country. You know, in other words, what 2005 and to an extent 81 showed you is, is that if you put something that is compelling and if there is a storyline to it, a narrative, people will come, they will learn. In other words, that's what 2005 did to people. People started watching because they were hearing about it. They had a, a sense that something big was happening. For the previous two years, England were getting better and better. The Australians were still great, but they were ageing to an extent. There was some sense that 2005 would sort something out. Either the Australians would you know, win again and would then still be the summit team, or that this England team was the best hope for a generation to actually take back the ashes. And so people learned, and they th you had to understand what the game meant. In other words, what the history of the ashes, which then brings you back to this beautiful history of it. You know, why is it called the ashes? Well, when you know Australia won, they burned the stumps, they put it into the, you know, the bales, put it into this little urn, and now that is what we are battling for. In other words, it's not a, you know, let's face it, I presume the 100 trophy will look beautiful, but it has, it's just something that someone has made up in a committee room and someone has then been sent out to build a trophy to look, you know, to match it. It's not going to have anything on it, whereby if you take something like the, you know, the county championship, you have this long, not just a history, but a sense of what we wanted to do with it. In other words, we created this tournament and all of these counties, you know, you would, the idea is you get your best players from your local area, you then have a cricket ground and you try and win. Yes, there's the gentlemen versus professionals and all the battles between it, but it's a form of social history. It makes, it explains so much of the social history on where we are now, why we are as we are, why when people talk, when foreign people talk about Britain, they still talk about the, the class system and all the rest. Even considering all of the, I suppose, the dramatic changes we've had in the past 50, 60, 70 years. Let's say you take the post-war years. I think if you take where we are and right now you know politically this country is you know in absolute turmoil a mess there's so much going on and this is not this podcast is not a forum for for that debate but i think if you really want to understand some of the problems we have if you take cricket as your example in other words we have this whole nightmare where our the facilities in this country for the sport have been so starved of money that now there's no 
overt solution. In other words, the, the councils don't have the budget to maintain these facilities. You know, schools don't have the budget to maintain it. You know, central government doesn't have the will or the, I suppose, there's not the political capital in sitting there saying, we're going to fix up you know, all the cricket grounds in this country. It's, it would cost so much money because it's not just fixing the problems of now. It's fixing 30 years worth of accumulated problems. So, the pro- so you've had the issues that cricket has declined in urban areas. It's declined in state schools. It's now becoming more and more the preserve of public schools. You know, because you have to have the money for the equipment. You have to have the teachers that have the experience to, to be able to teach the game, to, in, to get a sense of a love for it. You know, to be able to you know, not just play the game, but actually be good at it. Which now means is that for some, you know, there's so much cricket talent that's probably been lost in state schools where you just haven't played the game, or it's you've only had a handful of games, and as a result, you're never going to compete against the kid that has gone to a you know a good public school or one that's gone to a you know, relatively well-off state school, which has the money to keep you know to have the side screens, to have covers, to have a proper wicket. Mm. You know, that actually allow, you know, that is, and has allowed you to put a team together that's competitive. That allows you to then be, you know, to not just have played the game half-heartedly, to have then taken it on and joined a cricket club. And the problem that you have now is that, obviously, you're left in a scenario where, you know, effectively, cricket clubs are having to, you know, they're not having a generation after generation of school leavers who have played the game at state school who will then decide to play for their local club it's you know they and as a result you know you've got all of these uh, sort of volunteer sector of people who are now trying their best and you know the counties don't really have them these the sort of resources you'd need to you know do outreach so you're always playing catch up you know, you've got, you know, when I was a kid, you had, like, quick cricket. And that was fine, and it did something, but it it was never quite enough. You know, those kids love playing cricket. and it's But now you've got, you know, I know that I've read and seen that they have new, you know, ways and means of trying to get, you know, kids into it. But, but we saw each passing year, the infrastructure of village cricket, of league cricket, you know, cricket clubs, is declining because, you know, the facilities are now becoming more and more scarce. They're more and more badly looked after. And once you lose them to, you know, if what they're built on for houses and shops, you can't get it back because the sort of price of land is so expensive. Everything is now... And so on top of that, you've then lost it from the public sphere. So in other words, you've... You know, it's gone from, you know... Pay, it's gone from Freeview, it's now on Sky. Because the problem is what the underlying issue was this. What was the ECB supposed to do? They have a huge shortfall in terms of having to try and rebuild the cricketing infrastructure in this country. They are not going to get the kind of support that you're that you need from central government. It's not a vote winner. Although as far as I'm concerned it should be, but it's not. And so Sky offer you this huge amount of money, which you can then use to you know, patch things up. 
to try and make the best of it. But obviously, you then lose it, you know, from the public sphere. And so you then lose its sense of, in other words, people stop, you know, let's say sports editors stop putting it, you know, at the front and centre of the sports pages. It gets, you know, relegated to the, you know, back end of the sports pages. You know, if people aren't watching it, they lose interest, you lose that kind of knowledge, and it becomes, each time you try and get back to it, it becomes that much harder. Because, you know, the, obviously with modern sport, things are getting more complicated. You know, there is more coverage. Which therefore means it's not as simple as maybe 20, 30 years ago, when you could say, oh, well, I know the West Indies are good, I know Australia are good. You know, England are, you know, middle of the pack. It's now much harder because you have, you know, you have so many more games and it's difficult to work out when they're being played. In other words, it is just exponentially harder to follow the sport than you would have done a generation ago. And obviously what's happening now is you're getting other sports encroaching. You have, you know, baseball trying to expand in Europe. You have the football season, which is ever lengthening whereby everything kind of used to be done by mid-May, it's now easing into to June. Obviously, with the expansion of you know women's sports, fantastic. But women's football, obviously, you've now, instead of having once every other, you know, once every two years, you'd have an international tournament that would capture people's imaginations on Freeview, you now have a Women's World Cup, a Women's European Championship, which then means that just... Each time you're then just, you know, having your... Whereby cricket used to be sort of front and centre in the summer. You now have transfers. You now have the International Champions Cup. So there's always a sense, instead of whereby your team used to be playing a pre-season friendly against Oxford, 3pm on a Saturday and no one really cared as long as no one got injured and you got the win, you're now playing Inter Milan in Shanghai and you're trying to buy one of their players. And it's just that much more focus you and so as a result you don't have as much time to sit there and go actually I'm going to watch a test match but that love is still there that's what Headingley showed is that you could be front page news people could stop what they were doing and watch it so what you have to understand is that yes there is a financial element there's always been a financial element to cricket in other words, if you were going to be good at it, you almost needed to have the money to, so that you could just focus on it. And that's where you get the idea of the players. And then there's always the argument that you had the professional who needed the money to be able to carry on doing it. But I suppose if you look at it, we the ECB has poured all of this money into the 100. I think the 100 could be relatively successful. I think it will marginally improve the amount of you know people focusing on cricket. I don't think it's going to be a fundamental game changer. What you need to do is think, how do you want this money, not just to be spent, how do you want to this money to be viewed by historians when they come back to, you know, tell the story of this age in cricket's history? And this is why I would sit there and for this, you know, theoretical Six Ashes test series, I would sit there and say, put the whole series on 
freeview, whether that be online, whether that be streaming, whether that be BBC, Channel 4, whatever. Because in the end, yes, you will lose money from it. But what you'd need to sit there and say is, well, let's see how many people want to watch Test Match Cricket. You know, in terms of for the marketers, in terms of the sponsorship, in terms of the ECB, in terms of the television companies. Let's see what this Test Match Cricket means to the general you know, population. So, yes, having it in New York sounds ridiculous at first glimpse, but think about it. What if you have you know, a Thursday to Monday standard test match uh, that starts at 11 o'clock and finishes about 6 in US time, so you're on the East Coast, that would mean you'd have a test match that would be on BBC or ITV or Channel 4, Channel 5, whichever one you want to pick, that would start at 4 o'clock in the afternoon in this country and end about 11ish. That's prime time. That would mean that you'd be able to sit there and do a marketing thing that says actually from Thursday, Friday, in other words you can finish, let's say you knock off at four. Let's You sit there, you go to the CBI and you say everyone in this country let's just try and finish work at four on that Thursday and that Friday and you know if let's say you know ideal world that the test match finishes you know goes to the Monday Everyone finishes at four o'clock. You know, let's make this national. Let's, and then you can go straight to the pub, and because it's on, you know, terrestrial, every pub in the country can sit there and put it on. You know, you can come back from school and have it on, and that's it. That's what you need to get people inspired, because really, if you sit there and you have a, you know, and this is how I imagine the pop-up ground in my mind. You'd have a big, long sort of grass verge where everyone would sit there like they do in Australia and New Zealand, and that we used to do back in the good old days, but you can't because really our weather isn't good enough for it to trust it. No one wants to be sitting on a wet verge watching cricket, to be fair. You'd then have, part of the ground would be a beach, and you'd have all the Australian fans sitting on a beach watching it, you know, at the boundary edge. You'd have an Aussie surf bar, you'd have an old school British pop-up pub, and that's what you need. You need to have the aerial shots of Manhattan with a cricket ground right in the middle. With, and so that is where you could put that on the front page. People, you know, if you sit there and say, well, they're having an Ashes Test match in New York City, that is a conversation starter. People will say, well, why are you having it? Because you know, you, what you're trying to do is, you know, when they've gone to America previously, what they've done is they've done really two or three different things. They had a... T20 series where it was a bunch of older cricketers, retired cricketers, and they would play on at Yankee Stadium. And they would kind of jimmy the thing, they'd have a mat wicket, and they had Sachin, and it had some success, but a lot of it was, you know, cricket tragics and Indian fans who were like, oh, great, chance to see Sachin. It wasn't something that was going to, I suppose, capture the imagination of an international audience. Just as, you know, sending a bunch of, you know, retired pros to an area where football isn't huge, isn't going to capture the imagination because, yeah, Sachin's still probably pretty good, but it's not Sachin at his best. It's too, you know, it is a bunch of people having a knockabout game of cricket. What you need is to sit there and have a, you know, knife-edge test match. You know, the first test match of an Ashes. 
you know, what you need to do is you build the momentum the week before. You have, a, let's say, a farewell couple of 50-over games, a T20 game. But it's not just the specialist T20 players. You have it from the actual test squad. So, in other words, there's a momentum. There are question marks. Does the fast bowler have the wood on the opener? You know, if Australia win all of the games, does that mean that England are under pressure? Do they make a selection change before they go out to New York? All of these sort of questions. So, you're, what you're doing is you're putting the test matches at the start. You're building tension. The test match is the centre point. In other words, instead of having a test match, let's say you bring in you know, Bangladesh or you bring in Ireland, you just have the Ashes. It's six test matches. It's old school. It is, you know, the whole summer. It is going to you know, have that element to it. So that, and actually what you'd have is, because if you have a test match that is on between 4 and 11 o'clock, people will watch you will have more than the, the average 300,000 people who will always watch the test match, even, you know, at work or at home, you know, retired people, people take the day off. You will be able to have a mass audience. You might get to 10, 11 million people. If it gets, and because what you have now is things like Twitter, you have Facebook. If something like what's happened with Ben Stokes happens and it's, you know, 9 o'clock at night, People will start turning on their television. But, you know, if you have the Ashes game going on in the pub, people will gather around the television to watch it. You can have that situation. You know, what you can do is you're trying to get an international audience. You can have all the famous Hollywood English celebrities, all the Hollywood celebrities who are Australian, you can have them at the game. You know, what you would do is you would then have, you know, you'd use part of the park and create an almost like a Maidan that they have in Mumbai. So you'd have all of these games going back and forth. You'd have some equipment, which just allows people, you know, who are walking through the park to say, oh, this looks interesting and get involved. You'd have a big screen so that you'd have, you know, if you have 10, 15,000 people and you know, you, on the Saturday you'd have fancy dress day so that people would see you know, a bunch of British bobbies all dressed up. You'd have the cardinals and the, the popes. You'd have all of these kind of what makes test cricket special and you'd be showing it to an international audience. You would have, you know, pop up you know, big screens in you know, the, let's say, the major rail terminuses in New York City, so that people would just if would watch maybe a few minutes of it and get curious. You could sit there and you could put it, you know, on ESPN because if you do it in let's say July, there's not a huge amount going on. You know, there, there's no NFL. You know, the baseball season is halfway through. The basketball's finished. You know, the NHL is finished. That's where you, you know, effectively you're call, you're saying it's almost like a like a circus. The the concept of the circus is is that it happens once a year and you just people get go big just for the sake because it is there. And that's what you're trying to do. And if they then if you have like the magic where you know you have a great spell of play or someone scores a fantastic innings or someone takes five four, you know, that's that can capture people's imagination. I remember there being a girl I met at a university, she was from America, had no understanding of cricket and when it came up about the Ashes, she was like, oh, I was watching it, I was transfixed by it, I had no idea what was going on. You know, it's not going to necessarily, you know, bring, you know, America isn't going to fall in love with Test Cricket overnight, but you'd be surprised. Because then the next year, you could, instead of having England-Australia, you could have an India-Pakistan Test match. And if you bring, you know, Pakistan-India Test match to 
yeah, central part. The, I suppose the theatre that is India-Pakistan cricket, because they haven't played a test match for so long, it would be a huge deal. You know, that's what you need to... You know, you have to start having the imagination. If you're going to lose the money, lose it to do the best thing that you can do for the sport, to bring it to the masses, to finally sit there and say that test match cricket is for all of us. It's not just for the few. You know, you don't have to be massively tall to play cricket. You don't have to be massively fast. You don't even necessarily have to be in the best shape to play cricket. You know, it's it's building it to a crescendo. So in other words, you'd have this test match that would... you If you get several million people watching it and falling back in love with the sport, you'd then be able, when they fly back to England, you'd then have five test matches still to go. All the traditional test match grounds. And if you have it live on you know streaming or on you know domestic you know terrestrial television that's where people might carry on watching it and if you then have the hundred or the blast what you would then have is the ability for people to say i'm enjoying this i want to go watch some cricket and you'd then be able to say well yeah you can go to the blast at you know taunton at you know durham all these you know and you can then start really start trying to get cricket back is a mainstream summer sport and I don't know how that is but what you have to start doing is to use technology you know if you're going to have a test match test championship that's fantastic but then you need to find ways that people like me and people you know because I, I want to be an evangelist for test cricket because because it has so much to offer people you know, the thing is, I, I don't agree with the concept that people are easily bored, that millennials or that, you know, us as a culture and that we lack concentration. I, I think it's fundamentally untrue. What is the difference between binge watching a, let's say, you know, one of these really complex Scandinavian police procedurals where there's a you know, million different characters, there's a million subplots and it's dense and it's difficult to follow for six or seven hours, then what is the difference between sitting there and watching cricket for six or seven hours, which at times can be dense and with all of the, the subplots and all of the history that builds it? And, and considering all of the hate and misinformation that is out there, you know, having something that has a historical backdrop where there is a sense that you can actually get, you know, people from all across the world, all different, you know, all different backgrounds and cultures, and they can all play together, you know, with the concept of there being a greater good, the concept of that's not cricket. That is something that is meaningful. And, and sport at its best is when it is a challenge, when you bring the best out of an athlete, when it get the biggest challenge. It's not about necessarily... You know, rapidity. It's not necessarily about marketing. Yeah, that's one element of sport, but it's not the defining element. The defining element is, do you have a sport that has the capacity to to leave you astounded? You know, that can keep your to keep you hanging on. 
You know, to just lose yourself in the moment. And that's what Ben Stokes' innings did. You knew something special was happening. You just got that sense that that you were watching something that was going to be talked about forever. It's something that will, you know, no matter what happens next, even if we lose or if Australia win or if the next two test matches get washed out because we're trying to you know, play it too late in the summer because of the World Cup, is that you will always have that moment. And what I want more than anything else is to give that moment to everyone, not just the people who local pub has a Sky connection and a governor that loves putting the cricket on or you know who had Sky Go or who have the money to afford Sky. Because the great lie at the heart of cricket and specifically English cricket is this concept that it's somehow a posh sport and nothing could be further from the truth. Yes, there is an element to it. Yes, there is an element of class, but his always at its heart had a working class element to it. An element that it wasn't about how much you had in standing, how much money you had. It comes down to how you bat, how you bowl, how you field. And yes, due to, I suppose, outside political elements, we have lost part of that. But there's nothing that can't be, that can't be regained. That you know, we can bring cricket back. We can make. We can make Test cricket relevant again, but it's going to take imagination. It's going to take more than sitting there in a committee room and entrusting it to, you know, management consultants. They will always go for the lowest common denominator. Ah, we've done a focus group. If. Test match cricket is in an inexorable decline, and it, it might be. I, I, you know, it might not be in 50, 30, 40 years at the end of my life. It might be absolutely as irrelevant now as any number of different lower sports. You know, it might still have, you know, there'll be test match cricket going on, but it might be at the same, I suppose, publicity level as indoor bowls. And that could happen. There, there's no guarantee that, you know, that it does have a future. I personally think it does. And I think everything I've seen this summer shows that there is still hope. But instead of what doing what we usually do as cricket fans, which is, you know, look to the negative, to, you know, constantly be doom-mongering, which, which cricket fans have done since before the dawn of time. Even in the 19th century, even in the early 20th century, we've been complaining that this generation of cricket is nowhere near as good as their forebears, that the game is doomed. You know, it's a bit like one of my f the bits that I suppose annoyed me during the World Cup was, is that you'd fo do over by over. So I'm following it at work, and yeah, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people are following this thing, and they're sending in their arguments. And all it is is... There was just this constant criticism that there wasn't, you know, that the format wasn't working. And in the end, what I just wanted to say to all of those people is, I get it. And I get that there is, there is a time to have that argument about, you know, what should a Cricket World Cup, you know, what should it mean? Should it be inclusionist? Should it be, 
you know, about maximising the amount of viewers, maximising profits. Any, you know, should it be about getting the, you know, the best teams in the best situations or creating the best form of actual cricket? So many different arguments. But if you're constantly having this during the middle of a World Cup, you lose something. It's, you know, actually just sit there and enjoy what was happening. You had a bunch of great teams who played some great cricket, you know, it wasn't perfect, but there is no, you know, platonic ideal. There's nothing that is going to unite us all. We are, you know, a broad church of people. Everyone has their own opinions. But what we do worst as cricket fans is we never sit there and explain to people who aren't part of us, who aren't one of us. We never sit there and tell people why it's so magical. You know, and I'm I'm more than aware that there could be people sitting there listening to this saying that, you know, it will just be a tremendous waste of money, that it might not work. And I, I agree. I, I think there's a decent chance that you might end up with five million people watching or three million people watching it. And the ECB and the ICC have to take a bath on it. But when that type of failure, trying our best to sit there and bring it to people, if the general public by this point don't watch it, that's fine. We can live with that. We can then accept that it is a niche sport, that once it was you know, in the 50s and in the early part of the 20th century and in the parts of the late 19th century, it was a huge deal, and it's now not so. And that's fine. I could live with that. But why don't we find out? Why do we constantly have to sit there and say, wow, we're so worried about the, the Sky TV contract? You know, it's... A failure of people, and it's a failure of institutions. In other words, you know, you know where's the government's fault? Because no one sat there and thought it was important for sport to be, like the Ashes, to be on free view. You know, in other words, they were happy to, you know, con- there was always this sense that, oh, well, don't worry, there's here's a huge amount of money that Sky are going to give you. The coverage is going to be great, and it is. I'm not going to deny that. I, you know, I can't blame Sky in t- for this. You know, they are just one part of the problem, and I feel that they could do so much more to develop the game. You know, by just a bit of, a bit of looking at the bigger picture. You know, wouldn't it be clever if there is a great Test match going on, like we did at Headingley, putting on one of the main channels. Or just making it free for a couple of hours, just so that you know, we could all follow it. Wouldn't that be better than sitting there saying, well, actually, the bottom line is we have to, you know, ensure we get the maximum value out of our contract. Yes, but at the same point, if you're just watching the same 300,000 people, mainly skewering into, you know, old white you know, British men, well, what happens when they die off? What happens when I get, you know, become a fuddy-duddy? You know, and there's a couple of marbles rolling around in my head. Can you guarantee that there's always going to be this 300,000 people watching it? You know, wouldn't it be better if you actually tried to expand the amount of people that were getting into cricket? So that, yeah, maybe you might lose a small bit of money now. But if, if you end up with several million people watching it, then you're going to get better ad revenues. You know, it's... They're not... Sky are not just a television company that pay for their rights they are now part of the english game whether you like it or not and as a result they have to take some some responsibility for 
for the game's welfare in this country. You know, you need to have government getting more involved and actually seeing all the benefits that cricket do in terms of, you know, in terms of bringing people together and, and having a shared history and a shared idea of what it's like to be British and what that means is that you do have to then legislate, even if you just sit there and say that only the ashes gets to be shown, on, you know, has some element of it being shown on terrestrial TV. That's fine. I, you know, I'm quite happy to compromise. But we have to do more. You know, the ECB have to sit there and do more to, to be actually bold. Not constantly making compromises, constantly underselling cricket, constantly underselling the fan base. You know, what we need is bold leadership, imagination, a sense of what we actually want cricket to be in the future. And that comes down to cricket fans as well. You know, we need to start sitting there and using our and and using our collective power to lobby for things like this, to actually sit there and say, we want to save test cricket. You know, I want to save test cricket. And I think something like the New York Test is the first first step on creating the cricket of the future. Thank you for listening.